Welcome the founder and host of BuddyCast, Nick Sorensen. Welcome to episode 298 of Everybody's Favorite Show. I'm your host, Nick Sorensen. Joining me today is a returning buddy. You saw him on an earlier episode. He's back. He's got a new book. Rave willing to learn about it. My buddy, Justin Dombrowski. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thanks for coming back on BuddyCast to tell us all about this new exciting book that you've got coming out. Sure. Thank you for having me. Of course. So why not start out, tell us about this new book. So the new book um, that was recently released, it came out on February 13th. Is uh, It was called Eerie's Backyard Strangler. Um, it's my second true crime um, oriented book uh, that focuses uh, uh, about Eerie history in, in uh, true crime itself. Um, second of a series of many books that come before us. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just released and pretty excited for the uh, feedback it's gotten so far. Awesome. Now you're a historian. When it comes to these books, what's your inspiration? What's your motivation? Well, um, I would say the inspiration and motivation is one, um, you know, eerie, eerie history has so much to offer in all different areas. I mean, <clears throat> nowadays you see so many Facebook pages and podcasts and everything dedicated to eerie history, everything from music and eerie, um, you know, to other unknown areas. So I would say my perspective, at least from a historian, what inspires me is to do something a little bit different, kind of off the beaten path. Um, you know, uh, of course, as, as many people are aware, you know, my background comes from uh, criminal justice, you know. So that's always kind of intrigued me. Um, but the inspiration, I would say, really comes down to telling something new, fresh, unique, um, that also appeals to true crime, which is pretty popular. Awesome. So you'd say your criminal justice background definitely is the inspiration for, like, the crime history. Right. Mm -hmm. So with this new book, what chapter do you think you had to put the most thought and research into? I would say that the chapter, well, it really wasn't, I would say, just one chapter in itself. There were several. Um, first and foremost, when you're talking about a book, even of this magnitude at 224 pages, um, the amount of research that went into it was, was, was an incredible amount. Um, I would say, you know, there's not just one chapter, but really all the chapters in itself focusing, making sure you got your facts cross-referenced, um, you know, making sure that all the details are correct, that it's as factually, you know, accurate as possible. Um, you know, and that includes going over thousands of pages of court transcripts, um, other different records from, from different sources that were able to provide that to me. Um, you know, and, you know, going back and forth, because not everything's always going to be in order, right? You know, when you're telling a chronological tale, you're always going to be pulling from different sources, newspaper articles, 
it's kind of like a really extensive puzzle you got to put together. Um, um, that and then the chapters themselves, you know, although, you know, it is true crime, you also have to be cognizant, you know, my first book, uh, Murder on Mayhem and Eerie, focused on a lot of tales where almost most of the main players obviously are long deceased and that. Um, this was a little bit more of a trickier uh, type of situation because a lot of the crimes that are discussed in the book occurred in the 1960s. Um, there's still people who remember that. Um, there are also still family members of some of the victims. So, you know, the key was really also when writing the chapters is not to be overly extensive and gruesome with a lot of the details. I mean, some of the chapters do rely on autopsy reports and so on and so forth. Um, but really, the key was really to kind of keep it toned down to where, you know, it kind of factors into the story. And, you know, you're still kind of keeping that perspective on the victims. Mm -hmm. That's a good follow-up question. Have you run into any of the victims' families, anything like that that you've had to deal with? Like, had to, like, make any special agreements or anything, like, work your work around them? Well, some of the family members um, that have reached out to me so far, I mean... Um, various different family members have reached out. Most of it's been positive. I haven't received anything really negative. Um, you know, a lot of the families, uh, for example, one of the family members allowed me to use photographs um, of their relative that is in the book. Obviously, that's probably acknowledged. Um, you know, ever since the book's released, I've also had people who've come up and told me that they knew so-and-so or they were familiar with this individual and that they were glad it was being talked about in a way where they weren't forgotten. So, um, haven't had anything really negative yet, but it, it's always something that when you deal with this kind of um, book of this kind of nature, you always want to be open-minded um, because the, the families, uh, for the most part, are usually just as innocent as the victims themselves. Mm -hmm. um, they don't ask for this type of, of stuff to happen, so you always got to be open-minded. Um, and that even goes, you know, there are some characters in the book where, you know, some of the individuals are alive, but to, to, out of respect, names have been changed just to protect their identities as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just taking that proper precaution that, you know, if you're going to tell this story, that's fine. Um, but you want to be able to do it where it's respectful and, you know, you got to keep an open mind. Yeah. So the same thing goes for, let's say, the, um, let's say, uh, the criminal side of it, like the, um, you know, has anyone reached out to you in that perspective? Like, hey, you're writing about my whoever, like my great, my uncle or something like, you know. No, nobody's reached out to that aspect. Um, but, I mean, if somebody were to, I mean, it's definitely something that, you know, by all means, I'm all ears. Um, mm. But like almost, I would say 99.9% obviously of what you're going to read in the story itself, it all comes from sources that were not only verified but court transcripts so everything's in the official record so awesome. you know it's not like nobody's being slandered on or anything like that there's no accusation yeah. or anything um of course you know if you're ever related to somebody who's committed a gruesome crime um of course that's something that's not always going to be the easiest thing to accept or, or be confronted with um but most of the individuals that are at least involved in this story those immediate relatives are long deceased so yeah. really that issue with this at all mm -hmm. um you know for for one of the individuals i won't go into too much detail um he does have one sister that's still living in florida uh, and to my knowledge i don't even think the family's aware of it um so i guess you can say that's a a, a positive thing for the most part mm -hmm. 
What about a situation like where you said you've had the victims' families reaching out to you? Which has there been like a touching story? You know, they you've said they were thankful and everything. Has there been like a impacting story with you that you could share with us? Well, um, for example, one of the one of the victims in the in the book actually she's the first one that the case is written extensively about. Her name was Laura Butch. Um, her her murder actually brought the beginning of a, a series of crimes, what was known as the Area Backyard Strangler Investigation, which is from 1960 to 64. Um, obviously, not all the cases are connected, but you know they were all investigated as if they were committed by the same individual. Uh, some of her grandchildren reached out. Um, I think either grandchildren or great grandchildren, but it was evident in how some of the men. I don't want to go into too much detail because there was yeah. some person mentioned, but. Um, the family wasn't really, it was something that wasn't really talked about much, but at the same point, certain family members were worried about her being forgotten, the case not being kept in the, uh, you know, the public eye, even though that case itself uh, did result in a successful conviction, there are still doubts even amongst her family members. So uh, that in itself was, it kind of makes you feel good in a sense because you're showing a full tale of what happened. And the one thing also is this kind of brings an addendum to it is that while writing this, when I was telling people I was writing it, I had a bunch of people who would say, I didn't know that happened. So it was kind of something new and fresh that I could bring to the genre for historical true crime for Erie. Um, but also, again, you know, you're, you're kind of keeping, you know, these stories about what occurred in the forefront there. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier, you mentioned um, court documents, you know, um, actual sources. What are some of the sources that you used for this book? Well, some of the sources, for example, um, newspaper articles, um, interviews, uh, a couple thousand pages of court transcripts, court documents that related to certain um, cases that occurred. And that really helped kind of flesh out more of like an in-depth first-person narrative of the story. Um, because a lot of the dialogue that you'll see in the book um, that's quoted, and all, all that is verbatim, but it also comes from court transcripts, uh, interviews, um, where certain members of law enforcement were in, uh, you know, interviewed by the reporters, uh, all the way down to you know, personal input from citizens you know, who were scared and so on and so forth. So those, I say, were the main uh, sources. Of course, also, uh, there's numerous sources that came from the historical society. Um, you know, just because it's a historical true crime book doesn't mean that there's nothing historical about Erie. It also details, you know, things that happened in Erie from 1960 to 64 that were important. So, you know, there's also those secondary sources that I pulled from the historical society. And they were, you know, as always, they've been fantastic Um you know, and, you know, I've been a champion of them since the beginning, you know, the, because of institutions like them and, and I mean, they make projects like this possible. Wonderful. I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear they work with you rather than it's like pulling teeth to get these documents or, you know, you're ripping out your hair because you just need five minutes with this guy. And he's like the president almost getting him is like getting, you know, you have to sign a waiver that signs away your firstborn just to <laughs> Well, or, well they, they don't even really it's not even really that difficult um, i mean a lot of the a lot of the court files from this one are actually out of the realm of what the historical society has in their possession that of course i went through the court reporter's office which you know 
all that stuff's public record. It, it's, it's just, you got to accumulate all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, you know, when, when you think of true crime in history, it's not really something that people jump at the opportunity to do right away. So of course, when, you know, a project like this comes along, there's a little bit of apprehension where, you know, if you pitch a project with somebody, especially the historical society, uh, you know, you may have concerns of how it's going to be well perceived because, you know, true mm-hmm. crime is kind of a touchy subject. So, but yeah, we, I mean, they've been fantastic, even especially when we did the walking tours last year, which were widely successful. Um, you know, they view it just like, you know, my viewpoint is that it's still a part of history. It's not a pleasant part of history all the time, but nonetheless, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is something that's happened. Mm-hmm. And how did you like, when you were doing this research, how did you find this research? Like, did you find it intriguing? Did you find it educational did you find like were there some parts that like scared you to death or some parts that like you enjoyed i mean there's there's many different emotions when when doing the book um i mean i found it intriguing and educational because there's stuff about the city that i learned that i didn't know before um and then at least from a historical true crime perspective there's a lot of uh, things about crimes that occurred back then that i didn't know um probably one of i would say the most surprising thing is that, you know, a lot of these cases, if they were viewed under the same microscope as some t- cases are today, it's kind of frightening to think that I don't think a lot of these cases would even go to trial because there was such a lack of forensic evidence. So there's that perspective you can kind of take, um, you know, still with a grain of salt and, and kind of compare it to back then, you know, how things would be if that occurred now compared to then. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that comes to mind with that. Uh, a lot that really gets your mind going and it really was just a fascinating experience from beginning to end because like i said again it's it's one of those areas of our local history where a not a lot of people know about it and b um you know you, you'll find out a lot that the, that's really going to surprise you interesting now which of these chapters i know this is kind of like asking hey who's your favorite child but which of these chapters did you enjoy the most or did you have like the best time writing well, I wouldn't say that I had, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I had the best time writing it because it yeah. is dealing with such a horrendous subject. But I would say probably what I liked best about it was actually being able to a lot of the characters you see, um, being able to flush them out through their dialogue, their own words. You know, being able to experience that. But most importantly, it is when it came to the victims, being able to tell their story about what they were like. Um, you know, how important they were to, to their family members. You know, they weren't just names that were in a newspaper or on a tombstone, something like that. So so at least, you know, from an author's perspective, being able to write about them, make that character physically jump out the page beyond being just a name, I think was the most enjoyable part in a sense, because um, you're, you're taking that step that, you know, what happened to them uh, isn't just something that's going to be forgotten. You know, we need to remember them in some way. So... You know, for me, I, I would say that would be the, if you want to say the most enjoyable part, that, I, I would say probably more satisfactory, uh, you know. Satisfactory, yeah. You know? Yeah. The part that you like, that you had, like when you were writing, it just felt more natural. It felt like more right. like at ease to you. Like you really were enjoying, like rather than just got to get this chapter done today and then I'm done with my work for today, you know? Right. I mean, and the thing is, is that kind of, you know, it kind of matches with, some of the feedback I've gotten so far, like I said, I've had, uh, for example, one of the uh, individuals that came to one of my signings said, well, I used to live near this family when I was younger, and it just brought back memories, 
you know, that I hadn't thought about a while about that person. And, you know, I, I really miss them, you know, and so it, it's not always going to drum up the bad things. So, exactly. You know, so it, it, that was at least satisfying to go, okay, well, at least, you know, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. Now, buddy, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We got a word from our sponsors. Hiya, buddies. You know, they say a buddy is someone you can call up in five, ten years and say, hey, let's grab a meal or let's grab a drink. And you can catch up to them and feel like it's only been yesterday. Well, my buddies over at the brewery at Union Station are just the place to do so. With real food, real beer, real historic atmosphere, the brewery at Union Station is just the place for you to meet up with your buddy. The brewery offers a variety of handcraft beers and other fun activities, including bocce and ghost tours. You know, you can check out the mug club as well. My buddy Chris, the owner, was actually on BuddyCast and got, told us all about it. So check out that episode if you don't mind. He wants you to bring your buddies over there for a good time. So call them today at 814-454-2200 or visit BrewErie.com. Tell my buddy Chris I said cheers and that buddy sent you and now... Go be someone's buddy. Thanks for tuning in to BuddyCast. And that was a word from our sponsors at the brewery at Union Station. You like going there, Justin? I've been there a few times. It's uh, definitely a good time. I haven't been there in a while, but hoping to go back there soon once the weather gets a little warmer here. Mm-hmm. You should, have you ever been on the ghost tour by chance? Have not, but that's on my bucket list. Awesome. You and me will have to go together. I'm yeah, sure it's very, histor- it's very historical. Can you give us a historical fact about Union Station? Anything off the top of your head or anything like that? Uh, oh, geez. I knew you were going to do this. I'm just <laughs> uh, well, I would say um, I know there's there's still a lot of uh, – there's probably a lot of ghosts there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, at, at least the original Union Station, you know, I know was, was witness to quite a few presidents, including – President McKinley before he was assassinated. That was the original station. Um, you know, and I, I definitely think it would be nice if they refurbished it to, you know, and had a lot more rail access. That would be something interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Um, that was one of the best parts of that interview. Chris, you know, someone asked, is the brewery haunted? And he's like, I can either confirm or deny that statement because I have seen a lot of stuff there. I've yeah. seen a lot of like, Objects being thrown across the room, and I'm the only one in the room. Or um, the phone ringing, and then there's this like the terrible breathing on the other end, and then just the dial tone. Uh, He's just stay on their good side. You got to remember, he has to go back there every day. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you're obviously passionate about eerie history, specifically eerie crime. What brings on this passion? What what? wakes you up every day wanting to learn more about Erie? Well, I, I, and this kind of goes back to what we discussed earlier. There's so much about um, Erie's history in general that not a lot of people know about much of it. You know, kind of what, what what's written about it, what's spoken about it is, in a way, it's just scratching the surface. So for me, it's about finding things, a lot. what a lot of people don't know, captivating stories involving, you know, historical figures from time periods that you know you only see in a book anymore so for me at least as a historian what what makes me most passionate about that is being able to to find that 
and, you know, kind of bring it to life in a sense, you know, for people who like to read and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that the, the passion behind it is really, you know, bringing something fresh to it because, you know, like, for example, people asking all the time, are you going to write about this story? Or are you going to write about that story? And I usually tell them, well, I don't mind talking about things that are, you know, more, I wouldn't say popular, but well-known with, you know, today's uh, audience. For example, people will bring up cases that occurred in the 80s and 90s. But if I can't bring something fresh to it, if I can't put a historical spin on it where people don't learn anything, it's really something I kind of shy away from. Not that it's not deserving, but, you know, if such and such case is being talked about, and it's the same thing that's beaten to death, no pun intended, over and <laughs> over and over and over again. If I'm not able to bring something new to it, I don't feel like I'm able to do something um, that's beneficial, at least to people that want to learn about the history. You know, for me, it's all about what don't we know and, you know, what's fascinating. And so that way, when you get done reading something, at least that I put out, it's like, wow, I didn't know that, you know, and it makes you want to learn more about that. So exactly. that's kind of where it all comes down to. Mm-hmm. And speaking of learning more, I hear, I think you either mentioned this earlier or you mentioned it off air. You've got a new book coming out or you're working on a new book. Yeah, I got, um, I think right after I did this one, um, I, I'm always in touch with my editor and then my publicist and, um, and speaking with my editor. I mean, there's numerous books that we want to do. It, it, it's unfortunate I can only do one at a time. It's like every eight to 10 months or something like that. So I'm going to try to backtrack here. I won't talk too much, but when we initially started out, it was Murder, Mayhem, and Eerie PA. We wanted to see how that went. Um, when that was released, it did really well. It's actually still doing well. Um, in fact, ever since the second book is released, there's a lot more renewed interest in the first book, too, which, which is a good thing. Um, but after we did that, we decided, you know, well, why don't we work on a standalone book, which is where Erie's Banker Strangler came in. And then, you know, after that, we're like, oh, well, you know, here's different titles that we can do. Now, there, there's actually not just one book I'm working on at the moment. There's actually two. Um, so the one that's coming that that's actually almost done is actually it's called Wicked Erie. That'll be out in October, November of this year. Um, that's pretty much similar to Murder, Mayhem, and Erie PA, but it's going to be about twice as big. Um, it'll include a lot of different things that a lot of people don't know about. Again, it's cases that were not really discussed much. Um, and it'll really include a lot of uh, interesting documents and artifacts and uh, papers and stuff that I found doing research. Uh, it's a oral society. Um, there's a lot of things there that you know, I was able to locate by chance because it was misfiled or things that people haven't looked at in years. So there's that book. And then the next book that'll be out probably by Halloween next year will be about the Scott Mausoleum case. That one will be um, pretty exciting because it's taking a little bit of break from anything murder related. So I'm not complaining. Uh, but it kind of goes back to one of Erie's most bizarre, infamous cases. And there's so much info that I was able to uncover that was uh, not previously known, um, which includes uh, the criminal court cases that were involved, uh, finding out research about the individuals that were involved, um, being able to, again, it's, it's, it's a case, that's one of the cases that a lot of people talk about, but again, we're able to bring something new and fresh to that um, that I think a lot of people like. Wonderful. Now, where can we find all of these books? Where can we find all the books that you have out now. So you can 
if you're into Amazon or Barnes and Noble, you can find them online there. Um, yeah, I believe um, both books are out for Nook and Kindles. Well, Erie's Backyard Strangle will be on Kindle here within the next week or two. That's, that's usually rolled out within a month after the paperback version. Um, but Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, if you like to shop local, which a lot of people do, which is definitely a great thing for our area. Um, all major bookstores in the Erie area uh, carry both books. That includes Warner's, um, Prest, uh, Erie County Historical Society. Um, and, you know, if you're out in Northeast, he is a bookseller also, uh, carries both, both books as well. Wonderful. And do you have any, like, upcoming events, like anything you're going to be speaking on this book or any signings? Yeah. So the next signing that I am doing is going to be this upcoming Saturday from 2 to 4 at the Historical Society. Um, I'll also be giving a little special presentation about some extra additional stuff about Erie's Backyard Strangler. Um, I'll also be available this, uh, for signing for both Erie's Backyard Strangler and Murder Mayhem in Erie PA as well. And again, that's this upcoming Saturday from 2 to 4. Wonderful. So I got two more questions for you to sure. make this an official buddy cast. Last time you were on buddy cast, I asked you, um, what does it mean to be someone's buddy? I'm going to ask you this time brought to us by my buddy, Jonas Kane at hashtag positivity, you know, in a world that we live in today, how can we be more buddy? Like, I think one thing we can be more buddy like is being compassionate with people. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on today, you know, whether it's, you know, involved in politics or, you know, social media, so on and so forth. You see, that's one thing, wherever you go, you see a lot of hatred, you know, mm -hmm. at least a lot of, a lot of, you know, argumentative people, um, you know, we, we've kind of forgotten our way and just being compassionate for people. You know, if you need somebody to talk to, make yourself available to talk to somebody, let, let your friends know you're there, let your family members know you're there. Um, you know, if you have friends or if you know people who are working on projects, uh, who, who are just doing things to try to better yourself, you know, be there for that person, show them a little bit of compassion and support. I think if we if we can kind of get back on track with doing that, um, that can kind of, you know, if we can be more buddy-like like that, I, I think we're in good shape. Wonderful. The final question I have for you is, again, the ultimate buddy cast, buddy question which is for anyone out there who has a book on their mind, has a book on their heart, wants to get it out, whether it's a subject they're passionate about you, like you with Erie's crime history, or just a simple book about, you know, a fictional animal or something like that. What's your advice to them? Well, there's a lot of things that come to mind. Um, and I've had people ask me, well, first and foremost, if you want to, if you want to do writing, uh, Surround yourself with people who are going to support you. Don't listen to people who are going to say you can't do it. It's not the easiest job in the world. That's just being honest and, and upfront. Um, second, uh, you're, you're probably not going to get rich off of writing right off the bat. Not everybody's going to be like Stephen King and be a millionaire. Um, if you go into it for, for money reasons, chances are you're going into it for all the wrong reasons. Um, you know, and I also tell people, if you want to write, that's great. Write about you know, what you love, what you're passionate about, and, you know, take time every day to read, uh, whether you're reading, you know, romance, uh, nonfiction, fiction, um, you know, it, as long as you're reading, you're opening your mind to different areas when you become a writer and when you're actually doing writing. And, you know, 
I would say the next thing beyond that is don't be afraid to reach out to people. Don't be afraid to reach out to friends and family and say, hey, what do you think of this? And also be open to constructive criticism. It's only going to help you be better in the long run. And, mm. you know, but the most important thing is, is that anytime somebody asks me that question is, if you have something, you know, go for it. Don't let people tell you you can't do it. You know, it, it's not easy. You know, make sure you research and, and look at your options. You know, another positive thing is people are like, oh, well, I don't want to deal with, with a publisher or agent or something like that. That's perfectly fine. You can self-publish. You know, if you, if you want to tell, if you have a positive story or if you want to tell your own memoir, hey, that's great. If you want to self-publish it and, you know, that's also a great thing about this, you know, being here in Erie is we have independent bookstores like Warner's and Press and the Historical Society and all these other places where they're really geared around community and local authors. You don't have to be, you know, a published author like myself to do something. I mean, they'll work with you to get your name out there, to have people come to your signing. You could attract a few people. You could attract a couple hundred people. You never know. So, you know, stick with it. It's not the easiest thing, but, you know, you got to keep trying. And uh, in the long run, you know, you'll definitely feel good when you accomplish it. Wonderful. Great <laughs> advice. Well, buddy, thank you for stopping on BuddyCast once again. Pleasure and honor chatting with you. Stick around. You know, we'll chat for a minute afterwards. But, you know, I've got to ask this before we close out the episode. I have one favor to ask you tonight. Whatever you do today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, please promise me you'll go out and be someone's buddy. Absolutely. You got it. My buddy, Justin Dombrowski, please look up his new book. You'll absolutely love it. I'm your host, Nick Sorensen. Thank you for joining us on another episode of everybody's favorite show. Well, the days are going fast, buddy, buddy, we've got to make them last, buddy, buddy, before they've all gone past, buddy, buddy, tune in to Buddy Cast. Don't be lucky to make it, buddy, here on Buddy Cast. Hey, buddies. You're thinking of starting your own podcast? Why not use Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. And here's why. First off, it's free. Secondly, you have creation tools to record and edit right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor distributes for you. You can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Fourth, make money with no minimum listenership. And finally, you have everything you need for a podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started.